Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors in over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. The U.S. Navy reveals it was hit by a Chinese state-sponsored hack. We just, at a, at a basic level, as a matter of principle, we don't want to be funding our own destruction. Speaker McCarthy and President Biden reportedly close to a two-year deal on the debt ceiling. 57% of Americans support the position of spending cuts in exchange for uh, for debt limit increase. Target loses $9 billion in a week amid a backlash against their LGBTQ kids' clothing line. They don't want politics shoved down their throats. They want to get back to what I call normie capitalism. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast your first look at today's top stories for Friday, May 26th. I'm Tasha Stevens. Microsoft disclosed in a statement released on Thursday that the U.S. Navy has been hit by a Chinese state-sponsored hack. Secretary of the Navy Carlos del Toro confirmed that the Navy has been impacted by the cyber attacks and adds that, quote, It's no surprise that China's been behaving in this manner, not just for the last couple of years, but for decades, end quote. The Navy also confirmed that the Chinese hackers had targeted communications and maritime sectors in Guam, which is home to a key U.S. military base. Along with Microsoft, several intelligence agencies, including the National Security Agency, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, and the cybersecurity agencies of four other nations, also warned corporate enterprises of a Chinese-backed hacking group called Bolt Typhoon. Chris Rowland is the founder of securities companies Bastille and Endgame and says that what makes this attack different is that it tried to hack into government devices on the network. A lot of times when we think about cybercrime or cybersecurity, the end game is a financial gain or a motive or ransomware. In this case, Uh, The adversary is infiltrating networks and implementing what we call a pivot or the ability to move around the networks. Also, as opposed to compromising computers, these attackers are compromising devices that you might see on a network, which are typically ignored in most uh, cybersecurity doctrines and need to be evaluated. Roland explains what he believes the hackers were after. Well, we're so dependent on Internet communications and computer network communications, the ability to disrupt our computer communications Uh, during conflict could be significant or systems just wouldn't work. Um, And it's a much different approach than a traditional attack you would see where someone is actually trying to gain financially from the outcome. These attackers are trying to gain intelligence about what we're doing, how we're doing it, and they like to have the option to be able to disrupt those communications at some point in the future. He said the timing of the attack is also interesting. What's interesting is the timing. The National Security Agency has advised that uh, this attack, Volt Typhoon, began at the end of January, early February, at the same time the Chinese spy balloon traversed the country. So the timing could be linked. They could be multiple campaigns, but it's definitely very interesting. Roland also says that the hacking is very concerning because it happened in Guam. The United States government and the U.S. has great cybersecurity posture. We have great capabilities. However, we are under constant attack, and they are constantly probing for every weakness. 
it's really less about the technology and how they play by the rules. And in our case, the Chinese will hack into anything they can get into, whether it's to advance their own intellectual property for commercial gains or government footing, or in this case, communications or perhaps military advantage. Our government does not use our cyber capabilities to advance industry. And this is not a level playing field. What's the most interesting thing about this to me is it started in Guam. And that seems like it might be a linkage to the relation of Guam and the South China Sea Mm -hmm. and makes it very interesting and very concerning and perhaps about what might happen in the future. Microsoft said that the hacking group appears to have been focused on surveillance rather than disruption. But top intelligence officials and researchers expressed concern that Guam had been targeted, telling the New York Times that the island territory would be crucial defending off a long-feared invasion of Taiwan by China. Republican Congressman Mike Gallagher of Wisconsin joins the Salem Radio Network and says that he believes the White House is not taking the threat of Chinese aggression seriously. Now there's a dictator. His name is Xi Jinping. And I really worry about this because where's the evidence for for it, right? We've seen the balloon incident. And remember that the State Department, according to some Reuters reporting, really desperately tried to suppress the balloon incident, uh, held back sanctions, held back export controls in an effort to preserve Secretary uh, Lincoln's visit to Beijing. What else have we seen from China? We've seen a raid on Bain and Company's Shanghai office. We've seen actions against Micron. We've seen the passage of a new intelligence law, giving them basically unlimited powers over any business operating in China. So even if there is a faction, let's say, that favors uh, engagement with the West or that China is now open for business, their finance minister, Liu Ha, went to Davos, said as much, it is to the benefit of the Chinese Communist Party and to the detriment of the United States and the West. How much more evidence do we need that the economic engagement theory has failed? We have over two decades of evidence. It's not going to produce a moderation in their behavior. So Biden sees a thaw on the horizon. I'm worried, as I've discussed many times on your program, that there is a war on the horizon because Xi Jinping will be increasingly emboldened to take Taiwan. Gallagher explains what Congress is doing right now to push back against what he sees as an unchecked aggression from the CCP. We need to build uh, guardrails around our relationship with China so they don't continue to steal our intellectual property. They don't continue to steal uh, sensitive technology. They don't use our money and our technology in order to perpetrate genocide and build a military that is capable of taking Taiwan and capable of killing many Americans. This is what we're discussing on the select committee. We're going to have our first business meeting, which is a a meeting to discuss and hopefully endorse a set of policy recommendations. There'll be two reports. One is focused on defense and conventional deterrence across the Taiwan Strait based on the war game we did, based on the engagement we did with President Tsai. The Wisconsin congressman believes that the tactics the U.S. is currently using to engage with China will only lead to our destruction. And the other is based on the hearing we did on the ongoing genocide in the Xinjiang Autonomous Region um, and has a lot of economic focus recommendations. So I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that our, our Democratic colleagues will join us. Um, we've, we've tried our best to make these bipartisan yet, yet tough. Um, And so the select committee is going to be tackling this issue of selective economic decoupling and de-risking. It comes down really, Hugh, we we just at at a basic level, as a matter of principle, we don't want to be funding our own destruction. And that's what we've been doing for far too long. And I'm worried that this revivement, this revival of engagement, this zombie detente, zombie engagement is really it's really satisfies the literal definition of insanity, hoping for a different outcome. 
despite having tried this over and over again. Gallagher says that the U.S. needs to build up our military to act as a deterrent against China. I mean, let's say you put in place a near-term strategy to deter Xi from invading Taiwan. Well, you still need to confront the big issue we've been talking about for seven years, which is how do you build a bigger Navy and Air Force? And it's just been like Lucy and Charlie Brown with the football for the last seven years. And we've had weak service secretaries. We've had weak secretaries of defense. And we haven't had a president who's a navalist willing to break through the bureaucracy and empower a secretary of defense to actually do the things that need to be done in order to ensure deterrence holds, not just for the next two years, but for the next 50 years. The Chinese foreign ministry and state-controlled press dismiss the findings from Microsoft and the intelligence community as disinformation. Meanwhile, the State Department says it is vital for both the government and the public to stay vigilant. The head of the Russian private military contractor, Wagner, has claimed that his forces have started pulling out in eastern Ukraine and handing over control to the Russian military. Daybreak Insider's Karen Shamas has the latest from the war in Ukraine. The announcement by Yevgeny Prigozhin, the owner of the private military company, comes days after he said Wagner troops had captured the ruined city. The millionaire owner, with longtime links to Russian President Vladimir Putin, said in a video published on Telegram that the handover would be completed by June the 1st. We are handing over military positions, ammunition, everything, including dry ration, to the Russian military. Nevertheless, a day earlier, Ukrainian general staff said that heavy fighting was continuing inside the eastern city after a nine-month battle that killed tens of thousands of people. I'm Karen Chamas. Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors in over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors in over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. released on Thursday, the White House and lawmakers from Capitol Hill may be close to a two-year deal on the debt limit. However, many points of contention still remain. For example, one of the key items the two sides cannot agree on is defense and non-defense discretionary spending. Reports suggest that a potential deal would provide a two-year increase in the debt limit and a cap on all non-defense and veteran-related federal spending. The deal would also supposedly reduce by $10 billion the controversial $80 billion Congress approved for the IRS last year for thousands more IRS agents. White House aides were considering trimming the billions in IRS funding as a concession to keep intact funding for other domestic programs. 
Mark Thiessen of The Washington Post says that the White House really has no choice but to deal with Republicans. He has no choice. I mean, look, normally in a debt limit fight, uh, the voters tend to blame Congress. Uh, Obama had a double-digit advantage over Republicans in 2011 when he had his debt limit fight with them, and he still agreed to massive spending cuts in the, de- in the Budget Control Act. Right now, according to our Fox News poll, 47% would blame Biden. If there was a default, only 44% would blame the GOP. 57% of Americans support the position of spending cuts in exchange for uh, for debt limit increase. Only 27 percent support Biden uh, saying that he wanted a clean debt limit increase. And Biden's numbers on the economy are underwater. So, you know, they the Republicans have a lot of leverage right now, especially because, you say, they passed their bill. They don't have that much leverage. Because if Biden comes to the table and makes some sort of reasonable deal and they turn it down or the, or McCarthy cuts a deal and the House Republicans don't go along with it, then they could get the blame for it. Uh, and neither side wants to be blamed for uh, Biden doesn't want more blame for the bad economy and Republicans don't want to give him a pretext to shift the blame for the bad economy. Lawmakers are scrambling to negotiate a budget deal because the deadline for a default arrives on June 1st. Republican Congressman John Rose of Tennessee says the negotiations like the one we're seeing happen all the time. First to begin by saying, you know, the last eight major deals to get spending under control in this country have been uh, have have happened uh, uh, on the occasion of a debt ceiling increase. So this is not new to Washington. This is the way it's been done for 25, 30 years since I was a mere child, really. The Tennessee congressman explains the benefits of the House Republicans' Limit, Save, Grow Act, which will lift the debt ceiling and curb spending. I do take this seriously, and I think Republicans in the House take this serious. Uh, That's why we've been trying since January to get the president to sit down and talk about this and begin the process of working toward a solution. And that's why more than a month ago, you know, we passed the Limit, Save, Grow Act in the House that reasonably, responsibly, sensibly increases the debt ceiling, but does so looking to the future to limit future spending and start to get future spending under control, uh, not cutting it dramatically or drastically, but rather limiting its growth in the future. Of course, clawing back some of the big spending increases that happened late last year that were in my mind and I think in the minds of House Republicans unreasonable. Rose points to the fact that the Senate has yet to put forth their own debt ceiling bill as evidence that Democrats in Congress are simply not taking these talks seriously. So we've put forward a proposal. That's the way Congress works. The House, we've turned in our homework. Uh, It's done. And if the other side doesn't like it, there's a there's a process for this. And that is the Senate should have passed a bill. They have it. They can't. Uh, And so that's why we find ourselves in this uh, in this dilemma right now is because Leader Schumer and Democrats and and really led by the president, Joe Biden, have refused to take this issue seriously. All this frantic deal making comes after months of Biden's White House insisting they would not negotiate with Republicans arguing that Congress should simply raise the debt ceiling. No questions asked. President Joe Biden's IRS commissioner denies retaliating against Hunter Biden probe whistleblowers. More on this from Daybreak Insider's Edwin Mora. Internal Revenue Service Commissioner Daniel Warfel denied retaliating against whistleblowers who recently contacted the powerful House Ways and Means Committee to allege a cover-up and a purge of investigators in the long-running tax fraud investigation of first son Hunter Biden. The denial came in a May 17 letter to the House panel obtained by Fox News. Last Monday, the IRS removed all members of the investigative team from the probe. The GOP-led House Ways and Means Committee learned from a joint letter by two attorneys working for one of the whistleblowers. The attorneys described the move 
as retaliation. They further allege that the purge was carried out at the behest of the Justice Department. Edwin Mora, Capitol Hill. Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors in over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors in over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. This week, the Daybreak Insider podcast brought to you a story about the growing calls to boycott Target over its so-called trans bathing suits, which were marketed towards kids. Daybreak Insiders learned that Target has indeed been facing a massive backlash that has cost the company $9 billion in market value this week alone. Target holding an emergency meeting over its controversial Pride merchandise, the damage control mode, coming as it desperately tries to avoid a so-called Bud Light situation. A Target insider telling Fox News Digital, quote, we were given 36 hours, told to take all the Pride stuff and move it into a section that is a third of the size, from the front of the store to the back. I think given the current situation with Bud Light, the company is terrified. Target said on Tuesday it was removing some items from its stores and making other changes to its LGBTQ plus merchandise nationwide ahead of Pride Month, this after intense backlash from customers. The company didn't specify which items it was removing, but among the ones that garnered the most attention were tuck-friendly women's swimsuits that allowed men posing as women who have not had operations the ability to conceal sexual organs. Jennifer Say is the former president of Levi Strauss and explains what businesses are seeing in the backlash against companies and their LGBTQ marketing. It's corporatizing a movement and it's putting politics at the center of a brand to make money. And people are saying it's enough. You know, there was a time when it was fine and and brands like Levi's and Target put forth pride collections that featured, you know, rainbow flags on adult t-shirts. And now it's gone so far as to partnering with an artist that features very violent imagery, guillotines and violent copy um, in their own art. And consumers are saying we've had enough. And if brands are going to say we are putting politics at the front and center of our advertising campaigns because we think that will make you like us, then consumers are well within their rights to say I reject that. I reject those politics, and it doesn't make me like you, and I'm not going to buy it, and that's what's happening. The former Levi's president says that consumers are simply tired of companies shoving politics into the products they consume. What people are are voting for, and we're seeing it with Bud Light, right, their sales continue to decline, I think down 24% last week, is they don't want politics shoved down their throats. They want to get back to what I call normie capitalism, and I write about it in my book, Levi's Unbuttoned. They want product at the center. They want unifying, uplifting campaigns. And if you look at the beer brands that are actually enjoying share gains because of Bud Light, they're not putting forth 
um, an opposing political ideology. Mm. They're just staying true to normie capitalism. They're talking about product. They're talking about, you know, summer family get togethers and that's it. And they're enjoying tremendous revenue and share gains. And so, you know, I think brands are just going to have to make the choice themselves, uh, whether they want to insert political ideology or continue to drive their businesses and engage their fans. She also weighs in on Bud Light's downfall. Well, I think where it came from is, look, the Bud Light has that brand has been in decline and losing share for many years. Their consumer has been aging. And I think the intention was to bring in new, younger users to the brand. And that, that there's nothing wrong with that. That makes good business sense. But they just went too far you know you 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 always when putting forth a new strategy you also have to make sure that it doesn't alienate the existing consumers and clearly what they've done uh, by aligning themselves with a political ideology and make no mistake that's what it is they can say it was just about inclusivity but using Mulvaney touches on an ideology or centers an ideology that says there is no such thing as biological sex that men and boys should be able to compete in women's sports and that these ideas of what it is to be a woman are fairly stereotypical frivolous and retrograde and consumers the existing ones just said that's enough. And it wasn't significant enough to bring in those new younger users who weren't drinking Bud Light and weren't open to it anyway. So that's resulted in a net loss of sales of over 20 percent for a month, over a month now. Bud Light has seen its sales drop for some six consecutive weeks, down 25 percent versus a year ago since boycott calls erupted in response to its controversial marketing campaign with a man who poses as a woman, social media influencer Dylan Mulvaney. The U.S. economy grew at a lackluster 1.3 percent annual rate from January through March. Daybreak Insider's Jeremy House takes a look at the numbers. Businesses wary of an economic slowdown trim their inventories, although the latest figure is a slight upgrade from the government's initial estimate of a 1.1 percent annual rate last quarter. The revised measure of growth in the nation's gross domestic product marked a deceleration from the second half of 2022. Despite the first quarter slowdown, consumer spending, which accounts for about 70% of America's economic output, rose at a healthy pace. More Americans are expected to get away for the Memorial Day weekend than last year. Daybreak Insider's Donna Warder has more on this story on the holiday weekend. AAA is predicting that 37 million Americans will drive at least 50 miles from home for this weekend. That's an increase of more than 2 million from Memorial Day last year, but still below pre-pandemic numbers in 2019. The Transportation Security Administration expects to screen 10 million travelers between Friday and Monday. That would be a 14 percent increase over the holiday in 2022 and slightly more than 2019. Hotel data provider STR says the average average rate for a U.S. hotel room last week was $157 a night, up from $150 in the same week last year. I'm Donna Water. And finally, it's been years in the making, but the man accused of stealing Dorothy's iconic ruby slippers has been indicted. They're the most famous pair of shoes in the world, Dorothy's ruby red slippers. Follow the yellow brick road. Now the FBI has charged a man with stealing them, and if convicted, he may be on the yellow brick road to jail. Follow the yellow brick road. The pair of iconic shoes worn by Judy Garland in the classic 1939 movie was stolen from the Judy Garland Museum in her birthplace, Grand Rapids, Minnesota, back in 2005. 
They were recovered in a sting operation in Minneapolis in 2018. Look, there's Garland's name inside, but no one was charged until now. A one-page indictment says 76-year-old Terry John Martin stole an object of cultural heritage, an authentic pair of ruby slippers. Martin lives just 12 miles from the museum where the slippers were on display. He told a reporter, I gotta go on trial. I don't want to talk to you. The ruby slippers that were stolen are one of four surviving pairs used in the movie. FBI agents were able to tell they had the right pair thanks to a single sequin that had fallen off and was left at the scene when they were stolen. Now this iconic piece of movie memorabilia has been found. As Dorothy once said, There's no place Prosecutors say when the slippers were stolen, they were insured for $1 million, and they now have a market value of roughly $3.5 million. Terry Martin was indicted with one count of theft of a major artwork. He also has a 1986 felony conviction for receiving stolen goods in Minnesota. Jamie Heinz is the executive director of the Garland Museum and says the indictment is bittersweet. We are excited that there's movement in the case, but also kind of sad that it's a local person. His indictment did not provide any further information about Martin or why North Dakota feds were assigned to the case. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Tasha Stevens. Turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525.